Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today, and I am joined, as always, with my very good friend, my very good business partner, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen. How are you today, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen? Thank you, Joshua. Doing well over here. We finally have summer. It has stopped raining after months of uh, the wet (laughs) stuff in Virginia. It has stopped, and now it is hotter than the surface of the sun. Yeah, I was I was in Florida last week where, uh, let me repeat that, I was on the surface of the sun last week <laughs> and then drove back from the surface of the sun back to Connecticut only to discover that I went from one side of the surface to the other side of the surface of the sun. There you go. It's there hot everywhere. Go. It is, it is, and we... Uh... We are taking a family vacation this week, and we are heading to a lake house, which has no air conditioning. (laughs) So that seems like a very smart move. Well, you've got a lake there. You just jump in, right? I I don't jump in lakes. That's not a thing that I do. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. I didn't know this about you. Why is it because you saw Tales from the Crypt back, Um, back in the 80s? No, this this is a this has been with me my entire life. I don't like being in water where I can't see the bottom. Okay. And then yeah. and then you think, well, just just go to the Mediterranean or the Caribbean and, you know, I also don't like open water. And then people say, well, just go to the pool. And then I say, well, I, I don't like being in water with other people. So, really the only wow. water that that ever hits this uh, peely wally white body of mine is uh, the shower. That's it. Are you good friends at all with M. Night uh, Shamalama Ding Dong? Uh, very good friends, yep. Did yeah. you have a question for him? Well, I just, you know, I'm curious if you may have been the inspiration for Bruce Willis's character in Unbreakable. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest weakness in the world, water. <laughs> I think he just has a problem with water, period. His aliens and signs were didn't like water, yet they came to a planet that was covered in water by 75%. Yeah, there's M. Night Shyamalan still owes me my uh, my money for signs. Um, I liked, you know, I liked that movie. It had a very, um, uh, what's his name? Amblin Pictures. <laughs> fam- who's the famous director? S- Steven Spielberg? Ah, yes. Okay. Steven, I couldn't okay. think of the name. Good job remembering Amblin, though. That was well done. <laughs> But did you know it had a very Spielbergy kind of feel, and I thought the movie was great until you find out the aliens <laughs> that their you know their weakness is water. I'm really surprised you like that movie. My unpopular opinion around his movies is I enjoyed The Village. No, no, you didn't. See? Nope, nope. No <laughs> hey, one, no if one you enjoyed like the signs, village. All bets are off. You liked The Village. That was the that was the worst payoff ever. That's what I, I I liked it. I thought it was kind of cute. The only thing that was worse than the payoff in the village was Marky Mark's performance in The Happening. I'm going to be honest hey with guys, you. Hey guys. Hey. Yeah. What? After M Night Shyamalan never gave me my money back for signs. Yeah. I never I never gave him any more of my money. So I have not seen any of his movies after signs. Didn't Village come after signs? I don't think so. 
No, I don't think so. Uh, dear listeners, feel free to email in questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com if you want to look into this and perhaps prove Jason wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm more amazed you're not currently proving me wrong. Eh, I'm happy to just move on, really. We've spent way too much time focusing on M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong. It is. And didn't he do The Shape of Water as well? No, he was. he's not The Shape of Water. He had The Lady in the Water. The Lady in the Water, which looked good and had Paul Giamatti in it. And I, I really like Paul it Giamatti. M. Night Shyamalan and Water. I think he's he's got a legit fear of water. All right. Yeah, so. and if he's got a fear of water, there's no way he's going to make a uh, an erotic sex movie with the creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, with the shape of water. Have you seen it? I have. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it was. It was a. I thought it was a beautiful movie visually. I thought it was beautiful, and I enjoyed the acting. I I didn't get caught up in it like so many people did, but I did like it. I think this little intro about movies is actually apropos. Oh, because I remember. Uh, after we turned off the recording equipment with Ollie Chilton, today's interview. Oh, that's evening. right. <laughs> We're talking about Ollie Chilton. Today. After we, after the equipment was all turned off, and we were getting into New York proper, uh-huh. and I desperately, desperately had to use the facilities. Oh, I remember that. The two of you mm-hmm. were talking about the movies that you'd seen on your most recent travels and would Ollie see a movie after you dropped him off in Boston. And Oh, right. It was, yeah, it, there, was, there was a nice little movie tie-in uh, when the recording had stopped. And so I think you and I accidentally opening on movie talk is... I I like that you brought up Ollie's name (laughs) because that's who we're actually, you know, that's what today's episode is focused on. You are correct. And I tell you, spending the week with Ollie, I think I've discovered that he may be my my spirit animal. (laughs) (laughs) I feel bad for Ollie if that's the truth. (laughs) No, you know, he's, he's one of these guys that you and I, I think, both quickly discovered is on a very similar whiskey geek level that we are on, but then of course to the next level, seeing as he's you know in charge of Port Eskeg and uh, you know single malts of Scotland and elements of Isla, and he does all of the blending for some of those, and he's in charge of purchasing casks, and you know he's doing all this stuff that you know our friend David Sturk does too. All of the behind-the-scenes stuff on on a much bigger level than what we're used to. Sure, but still very much a, a down-to-earth guy and a yeah. funny guy. And as always, we had chances to trade dad jokes, which is <laughs> vital in this world. It is, it is. And, um, yeah, we, we make mention of it in the interview. We were driving to New York. <laughs> and as regular listeners know, we have been known to put our soundboard on the dash. Mm-hmm. We we now have a bigger soundboard than we've had previously. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> and more mics <laughs> than we've had previously. You're welcome again. And so, yeah, we stopped off for some bagels. We set up the soundboard on the dash. Mm-hmm. We handed out microphones to each of the three of us. Uh. Then then we set off with 
your phone in your hand for directions, your bagel for eating, your microphone for recording, your soundboard on the dash. Yep, just just call me Vishnu. <laughs> and as we were driving along uh, on the on the freeway, we had the almighty clatter. And I'm guessing you've left that in your in the final version of this. Yeah. So as as far as the final version of this conversation with Ollie goes, I've done little to no editing. Sounds like you. Well, I didn't need to. I, I didn't need to. <laughs> Nor did I want to. Um, <laughs> Nor did I have the time to. But driving through traffic, getting out of that bagel shop, backing in to a very busy four-way intersection <laughs> <laughs> while carrying all of the accoutrement that accoutrement. you mentioned before. It it was, uh, I tell you, Jason, it was both a harrowing and dumb journey. Uh, to our credit, we did say multiple times while doing the recording, this is really dumb. We should not be doing this. <laughs> I'll tell you what was funny, though. Yeah. As So you were obviously driving, Ollie was in the passenger seat, and I was in the, the only rear passenger seat that we had available because we were schlepping a whole bunch of our stuff to oh, Whiskey Jubilee, Jubilee stuff. that yeah. morning. Mm-hmm. But we'd, we'd either stop in traffic or we'd pull up to a red light, and cars that were beside us would look at us yeah. holding our microphones. <laughs> and I, they were peering into our, yeah. our very, very large SUV um, to see who was being interviewed in here. And it was funny because as they looked at all three of us, they couldn't identify any of us as anybody of any worth. And they would just go back to what they were doing in their car. Yeah. <laughs> just dismiss it. Like, just a bunch of weirdos with microphones. Let's just not worry about this anymore. Well, the good news is we we did capture some of that on the audio there, there's a there's a great moment in the interview where i think ollie points out one of these many cars that are you know looking at us with you know with the sideways puppy dog face look you know <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's those three white men no that's not interesting at all so sorry so i i want to transfer people over to the recording but one thing that i want to mention is we we discussed many subjects and one of which was a subject that we'd been thinking about for a while but it wasn't until we'd gotten a tweet from at wine sagasu who you know she reached out to us saying you know, it'd be really interesting to hear more conversation about blending and, and with blenders. And so we really wanted to focus on blending in this episode. We also talked a bit about the new Isla distillery that Elixir Distillers is 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 working on and a couple other odds and ends. So I just want to set the, set the table for people. Should we go over to the interview? I say, let's do it. Titans, go! So we are officially recording. That's now. us. Oh, okay, right. Okay, brilliant. We're going to record every time we park. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie, welcome to America. Thank you. Don't crash. <laughs> <laughs> so regular listeners will know that uh, quite often when Jason and I get together, 
Oh, there's a cop over there. Oh. Um, <laughs> Keep it coming low. Easy. <laughs> we hop in cars and we go places and we record what happens when we go to said places. We do. We are currently in Connecticut trying to get out of Connecticut on our way to New York City for Whiskey Jubilee 7th annual event. And this is the first time that we are going to have uh, Mr. Oliver Chilton. You prefer Ollie? I'm quite happy as long as it's not swear words. Hold on, I gotta negotiate this left turn here. (laughs) There we go. I mean, we're all good. Yeah, that's. There's a school bus there (laughs) with with kids. (laughs) They're gonna watch us recording. Um, so we're on the way to Jubilee. You and I have been together since Monday. Indeed, we've and, survived since Monday. <laughs> uh, and we picked up Jason on Tuesday. Uh, but one of the things that, that we've been talking about is is really what you do uh, with poor ass gay. Let me properly introduce you. You are Ollie Chilton with Elixir Distillers. And could you tell the good people what your official title is? I don't have an official title I hide in a tiny glass room with bottles of whiskey Um, so I look after all of the cast buying um, cast selection blending and bottling uh, for Elixir Distillers and uh, I've got a nice little team who work with me who do sales and logistics and we basically between four of us we spend our time trying nice whiskey, putting it into a bottle and selling it. And you fit all of that on your business card. I do, actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really big business card. Uh, it's the size <laughs> of a manila envelope. <laughs> it's an 11 by 17 piece of paper. <laughs> it's on a Roman scroll. Hi, my name's Ollie Chillin, and I... <laughs> we had... Chris Mabin on the podcast last year, who is your co-worker slash cohort. He's, yeah, um, business director, I think is his title. Oh, right. He to, got to choose his own. That seems much catchier. You should maybe have him <laughs> choose your job title. <laughs> he did choose my job title. I just don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when, when thinking about having you on the podcast and you know you're both with the same company and there's four of you uh doing things at the company so you're i imagine all four of you tend to share hats here and there yeah pretty much um as in a small group you pretty much have to do everything yeah um and we've only really had uh our small team for maybe a year and a half, two years before that. It was just myself, and I was essentially just working with uh, the owner of the company, Sekinda, and and it was essentially more fun than anything else. It was more doing it for the fun of it than doing it for a business. Um, Now we're taking it a little bit more seriously. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. That way up. Yeah, that I way. Can't, yeah. Right. Yeah. Talk, talk, toward, talk at it <laughs> okay. rather than across it. So I've got to, if I 
do this. I'll leave yeah, there you go. Look at you. Now there you're you doing go. it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I feel American. I can do this. I think what's interesting is the man with the dog in the passenger seat is looking into our car, <laughs> wondering what the hell we're up to. That's just weird. <laughs> Don't you think, Spot? Roll. <laughs> <laughs> It's only weird because they've got lapel mics and we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. There's a lapel mic on the dog. <laughs> Roro Raggy. Um, so, so in having you on the podcast, obviously we needed to talk about something different uh, than we talked about with Chris. <laughs> and so you and I have, have been together since Monday. We picked up Jason on Tuesday and we're visiting various retail shops and bars and then sort of ending our evening with with events seminars and and things like that but you've been talking in in bits and bobs about the blending aspect of of Port Askeg and in Port Askeg as an independent bottler of Isla whiskeys it's a very different concept from independently bottling the way, say, Caddenheads does or um, Single Cast Nation or Hunter Lang, or, you know, where they're bottling single casts at a time. So <clears throat> can you talk a bit about your process, your, your approach, what's involved in making your independent bottlings uh, of Port Eskig? So for Port Eskig, as opposed to say the kind of single cask setup, as you mentioned, uh, Caddenheads and Single Cask Nation. Um, we're using larger quantities of casks. So our eight-year-old, which is kind of a standard for us, it's now sold in 25 countries. Uh, that is a batch of about 40 casks at a time. And what we're trying to do is get a level of consistency. So hopefully each time we put a batch together, it tastes similar, if not the same. Um, there are batch discrepancies because, well, there's always a difference in casks, um, but we try to select the casks in a way that means that everything's, if someone goes and buys a bottle, it'll be the same as they had it before. Okay. In terms of blending, I mean, it's always a single malt, so all of the whiskey's coming from one distillery. We don't name that distillery on the label. Um, it's a very large distillery on, on Isla, so it's pretty easy to work out. But the blending process is essentially taking different casks and making sure they work together to create a style and to create a flavor profile that suits uh, Port Eskeg and suits what we want people to to associate with our whiskies. For your eight-year-old, is it predominantly refill bourbon casks that you're, you're so, using there? Yeah, it's a mixture of first and second refill. So none of it's first fill bourbon. It's all had uh, Scotch whiskey in it before. Some of the casks are pretty old, i.e. they're probably at the end of their life, and some of them have, well, we'll be using again. Um, and that just, using that mixture, we get a lot of the kind of soft, flinty, um, minerally aspects of, of the make. So the new make is quite light in a way. It's smoky. It's quite citrusy. Uh, it's actually really nice to drink on its own without any aging. And we kind of want to keep that. It's, a, it's kind of the, the body of the whiskey we, we want. Um, using the slightly more active casks, you get a little bit more vanilla and a bit more texture. When I think of most independent bottlers, and, and again, this is getting back to those that do single casks, there's this focus on first fill this, first fill that, 
second fill this. You know, it's, it's really highlighting the cask, ensuring that the color is attractive, um, that the, the oak seems to be doing the heavy lifting. Uh, and we do it with single cast nation. Obviously, you know, we, we've done some refill bourbon and, and some second fill, but you know, when we find that sherry cask, all of a sudden it's, ooh, sherry cask, like chasing our, our Port Charlotte 14 year old, right? Absolutely. But the approach from your standpoint seems to be the opposite, where you want to let that spirit shine. And, and I was, you touched on it just, just a second ago, but I was hoping you can expand a bit on on why you want that to be sort of, you know, less active wood. What is, what's the hope? Well, I'd say firstly, it's not always that way we do smaller batches where we're looking at more active wood. However, I, I personally, I love spirit character. I love distillery character. I think there's an awful lot going on in the process of production of, of making a spirit where you, you make, frankly, a really interesting drink in itself. Um, wood is obviously great. It adds lots of flavors and textures and you can make really interesting whiskey by changing uh, the wood you're using, by uh, using bits of um, understanding of interaction between wood and spirit and extraction levels, etc., um, etc. Et but the nice thing is to be able to say, Port Skeg is from a place, it's from Isla. Um, that place and the distillery has a particular character and we want to show that off. Um, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we come from a background of being whiskey drinkers, so we want to bottle things that we want to drink and we want to explain why it tastes nice. Well, uh, the distill that used for Potiskeg 8-year-old, um, it comes from a large distillery uh, who use, they fill their stills really, relatively low, they get a lot of reflux, so they create this lighter spirit, um, and I personally like that style, so it's nice to be able to show it off. If we put it into really active wood, and it's not saying that we don't do that as well, we do lay down some new fill into active wood and we re-rack some of our older stock into more active wood. Sometimes that's great. You can find one-off casks that are absolutely amazing. We do bottle loads. Um, you can find casks that work really well in blending, i.e. they add a particular flavor profile. Uh, but for our eight-year-old and our 110, we want something that's more consistent and lighter and and elegant um, and shows off the distillate really well. Yeah, I, I love that you describe it like that. One of the things for us in selecting a couple of our Lafroigs is that we love the fact that it was the spirit shining through. And one of the things that I've always talked about in my tastings is I love some young Isla spirit in refill bourbon because it is almost like the spirit grew up without influence from the wood. There's not as many vanillins, there's not as many tannins. It's just the fact that that spirit grew up within a cask uh, that wasn't affecting it too much. Yeah, and no, I'd also there's, there's other spirits categories where they probably explain this and do this better. You could take mezcal or tequila, where you know you may a lot of mezcal producers or tequila producers. You speak to them and ask them about their product, what they love. They all drink their blanco. Mm -hmm. You know, they they want to show off the spirit they've produced. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, you know, you look at the extra anejos where it's really woody for them. That's not actually the point of making tequila. Yep. Um, I think sometimes for Scotch whiskey, we, we should be doing the same. We should be sh showing off the spirit. Certainly with, you know, one of my fascinations or our fascinations as a company is, is older bottlings. We, when we're not um, doing car sampling and we're not 
uh, doing our day jobs, we're often opening old bottles of whiskey. And a lot of the flavors you find in those bottles from the 70s and 80s, so distillates from the 50s, 60s and 70s, the, the quality of this, the spirit, is, it's all about the spirit character. It's about the distillate character um, as opposed to just wood character. Mm. Um, and I think that's quite interesting. As I said, it's not to say we don't also put stuff into the first fill and it's not to say that we don't also bottle that under put a skeg it's just we still needed to have the hallmarks of being quite elegant um, we we want things that are good to introduce people to to isla whiskey but also things that people could drink every day we also bottle other whiskey ranges such as elements of isla and Singamots of scotland and some of the casks we'll put into that will be more extreme and and maybe more wood influence or just a very different kind of style of whiskey and a more in-your-face style, uh, but that doesn't really suit Podeskeg and what we want to achieve with that. I have a different question to lead with, but just very quickly, when you mentioned single malts of Scotland, which markets are those found in? Um, mainly in Europe um, and Japan. Okay. We've just started off in Taiwan. Um, single malts of Scotland's always been kind of quite a small thing that we did on the side. It's really where we started. So uh, Skinder started bottling Single Malt Scotland, I think 2003 or 2004. Okay. We've grown it a bit in the last three or four years. We've been buying casks. We, we hold a lot of casks in, in our name in Scotland at any one time. So we've always got a lot of choice. Okay. But I have to look out for them more. It's it's not a, uh, an indie label that's crossed my path very much. Joshua, do you have any Single Malts of Scotland? Oh, I've poured you a few. The, uh, the 11-year-old Springbank. Okay. It's, I think there was 98 bottles in that. There was a lovely FWP Beaumore. Ooh. Remember, we went in, we went into a, a shop in um, forget where it was. Maybe it was Glasgow, and I saw it, and it was I forget the forget the 80 something. 89. 89. And um, and I asked the shop owner. I said, you know, can you tell me about this? <laughs> and he said, oh, you don't want it. It's got FWP all over it. I do. I said that. sold. You nailed. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Thank you and good night. Um, and and I recently won on auction an eleven-year-old uh, Sherry Cass Lechig. Oh yeah, I so, just saw that. So I I it is a label that I look out for because at least from the 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 whiskeys that I've had under that range, they seem to be um, a, a bit more intense. Okay, you know, that's, like, yeah. that certainly speaks to yeah. to my interest level. Yeah. So, so putting our aside to the side, <laughs> thank you. We I have, do I have to enter no, it no, like an applause your, track or shake your head? Can you, can you, can you do that by sound? I, I, I've got to find a sound which is like <laughs> shake your head. Just put in a cymbal, drum crash. <laughs> um, I, one of the things watching you this week, Ollie. In the the pouring order, you've poured the 110 proof pour askeg before the eight-year-old. The 110 proof, obviously, 55% alcohol, and then you go into the eight-year-old at 45.8. And as doing that, and certainly tasting them that way, there's this increased heaviness in the eight-year-old that we haven't seen in the 110 proof. Is the the addition of water? creating that heaviness uh, and, and I really do mean on the tongue it feels heavier 
oilier. Yeah. There's... In terms of your blending and your dilution, what are you finding creating that heaviness? So I think there's water definitely makes a difference, though I think the biggest difference is that actually the cast type. So eight-year-old contains first and second refill casks, uh, whereas 110 is exclusively refill, so third refill. Um, basically, the wood is pretty old, and it's not land, uh, lending many textures to the to the spirit. The addition of water generally is quite interesting. I think it, it definitely does stuff to phenol content in terms of tends to bring out sweetness. I find I find that the smoke changes mm -hmm. uh, quite a lot at lower ABVs. But I think the main thing from the textural point of view will be that that difference in wood. Um, so although we're not using first fill, you're still getting more texture from that slightly fresher wood. Understood. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. There's something that we talked about, and, and, and I'm going to get to this, so I'm just sort of putting this in here to remind myself, uh, where, we, where we talked about when it comes to maturation of spirit and cask, where it's not just wood influence, there's also oxygen influence, and, and, I, and, and I'm hoping we'll talk about that in a minute. So a bit of a teaser for our listeners. But before we do that, I, I wanted to get back quickly to to the blending because blending really, it, it's a subject that we've not touched on enough in the podcast. And I'm really curious about your approach to it, how you come up with it, what your, what your influences might be. And I think you said it before, you know, you make, you make a whiskey that you want to drink, but what's the process? How, how are you doing that? Well, so I should stress firstly, I, I don't come from any particular chemistry background or professional background. I fell into my job largely through luck and saying yes. <laughs> um, and I come from, a, I'm, I'm just a drinker. I love buying bottles of whiskey. And I happen to share a similar palate with the guy who owns our company. However, in the time I've had my job and the time I've worked in whiskey, which is just coming up to 15 years, I've had some amazing experiences being able to work with or spend time with people I would consider actual master blenders, people who know what they're doing, <laughs> um, not chances like me. Um, and I've learned that there's loads, of, there's loads of ways of approaching blending. The way we look at it now, uh, I always start with the premise, okay, I want to try and achieve a, um, a certain style, so put a skeg, I like that idea of producing an elegant whiskey. Whether it's in sherry or fertile bourbon or anything else, I still need to produce something that's elegant and for, it's probably not the best word, but I, I think of them as quite pretty. Mm. So when we're looking at the cast we've got to try and achieve that, we're, we're trying to put together things, flavors that we think will work together. Kind of like cooking. The only thing that I've discovered over a lot of trial and error is that it never works quite as easily as you think it should. So you'll put, you know, you'll go, okay, I want some of that um, rich dark fruit from this uh, lovely sherry uh, cleela that we've got sitting here. And I want, I want some of that uh, more flinty notes from this refill stock. And you'll put it together and you'll lose probably both of them and come up with something completely different. Wow. Sometimes that's great. And sometimes you try something, you go, actually, you know what, that's bang on. And sometimes you've got to go back and rework it until you find the, the sweet spot. Uh, and it, it's actually genuinely quite a touchy-feely process. Uh, we recently were doing some blending with a, a big distiller. It's, it was more of a, wasn't actually for work, it was, it was done for fun. And 
the only brief was to make a whiskey we like. It took 15 iterations um, <laughs> <laughs> of different, uh, literally different percentages. And by the end, we were playing in pretty small percentages. The stock was all the same. The casks we were using were all the same. And it was just tweaking it by 3% or 5% up and down on on each bit. And each each time you'd tweak it, it would change quite a lot. It would change radically. So yeah, we, we work very much on, uh, we're flavor-led. Yeah. One thing we were talking about, I think, yesterday, yeah. we're quite lucky in that we're a very small business and there's no pressure on us. Uh, we don't have a marketing department or a commercial department saying the market wants this style of whiskey. We get to sit there and go, well, we want to drink this. And we believe, mm. having spent time speaking to whiskey drinkers and you know people like us, basically, they want to drink the same stuff. So yeah. We're very lucky in that regard. In the actual blending process, are you taking the components and blending them at cask strength? Are you getting those components at lower ABVs and blending them? So I imagine once once a blend is created, you then have things to consider would be marrying time. Another thing to consider would be what is the final ABV of that product going to be? So how do those elements affect that blending process? So we always start with all our samples at cast strength. I'll normally try, well, you'll try everything on its own and I would try everything with water reduction on its own just because it helps you understand some of the flavors in that spirit. Uh, we'll blend at cast strength. We'd always blend at cast strength uh, for sampling purposes until we get to at least an area we want and then we'll start reducing it down with water to see the best strength for bottling. Mm-hmm. So at Porter Skeg, our, our kind of our eight-year-old is bottled at forty-five point eight percent, and most of our limited editions have been released at forty-five point eight percent. That's down to two reasons: one, it allows us to be non-chill filtered, no colouring, because you're at that that kind of forty-six percent sweet spot, and also it's a really nice number on the bottle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we do also bottle a lot of um, either small marriages of whiskey or single cast whiskey, and we'll do the additional water maybe by one or two percent uh, or three percent just because we feel it makes a better whiskey and we do the same even with put a skeg so we don't immediately go down to 45 8 we will work our way down one percent at a time just retrying it at different strengths okay. to see where it ends up and is that when you add the water is and i apologize if this is just like uh, why is he asking like enough with the questions but um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, damn it. <laughs> if they told me there'd be questions, I wouldn't agree to do this. Uh, you know, but you're adding water to it. And just as just as when you're making your blend, one of the things you you talked about was the fact that when you're marrying these casks together, you really want the liquid to marry four, six weeks longer if you could, because you need the time for the marriage of liquid to really come together so with addition of water as you're trying to get to an, a final ABV is there any part in the process where you're taking time into consideration yeah so uh, we always do it in two stages you'll you'll do your, your the blending all happens at, in sample level it's not done um, you don't do you don't blend in vat and, yeah. and hope for the best because that would be a really expensive mistake um, so we put our samples together and we kind of come up with a bottling strength before we move any casks or before we go to vatting. Okay. When we vat, if we're going to do water reduction, we will always do it at the point of vatting, but we might not reduce down to bottling strength. 
So it might be quite common to bo- to bring it down to say fifty percent if we're going to go down to uh, forty five. Oh, okay. One, it just helps with integration. Uh, water needs time to integrate. I, you know, I'm sure there are some big bulk blenders who would disagree with me. You can put three year old in a bottle and and run with it at forty percent. But what we found, and again, we're not we're not scientists. We're not doing massive studies on this. It's just experience of one having messed up um, where we've had to rush things and it's not worked as well, well as we'd like um, and when when we've had the time to do it properly you get to see the difference so these are the kind of processes we put in place now mm. because we've had the experience of doing it both ways yeah and we feel this works better well obviously oil and water are going to separate and so when you do dilute down and you've got a resting period do you know what's happening chemically or or at the molecular level as that water is becoming integrated with the oils in the in the whiskey? I can't say I actually do no. Yeah. But I it's these are the kind of things I'm quite lucky in my job. I get an awful lot of time or given a lot of time to go and ask questions and do research. So we're currently looking. You briefly spoke on it earlier. We we were looking at oxygen effect because. Yeah. We've got casks that are very empty and they, they're showing very particular flavours. So we have a belief that, that that must be related to oxygen. In terms of water reduction, we've been doing lots of things in cask at the moment to do with water reduction, taking a lot of learnings from particularly Kentucky and, and what they do here in terms of filling strengths. But we don't have a massive research department and uh, none of us are biochemists so <laughs> yeah it is we are essentially just whiskey drinkers with an interest and a bit more time on our hands yeah so are you saying that you are taking some of the spirit and bringing it down to a lower abv and letting it mature and cast to see what happens there yeah we did a few we ran a few experiments under, over the last couple of years on older stock where we weren't quite happy with the the style of it maybe it was a bit tannic so we reduced it in cast to see if we could bring out um, sugars. And it's actually been really interesting. The casks have changed an awful lot, even in three, six months. They, they changed a, an incredible amount. And did you get the result you were looking for? Uh, personally, no. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that cask will probably not see the light of day, but it was, <laughs> it was interesting. It's not bad by any stretch. It's just now quite sweet. Um, oh, okay. So maybe it needs more time to integrate. Oh, okay. Uh, Again, it goes back to that thing of being, you know, family-owned business. We and we're done because of a passion for whiskey. We are given free reign to to go and do this stuff, so that you know, if it doesn't go well, we can always leave the cask and see what happens, or we yeah. can sell it on to someone else. Okay, so you mentioned two things, and one of which I hinted at a couple minutes back, where you, you're convinced that that oxygen within the cask is playing a role within the overall flavor profile of the whiskey maturing in the cask. And so it's something that, I don't know, Jason, if, if you and I have ever even thought about that or, or talked about that, where you would rely on oxygen to, you know, you usually think of the cask doing the heavy lifting, but yeah. oxygen doing some. Well, I think we've certainly talked about it when you know a group of us get together in some of those 1970s blends, 1980s blends that nobody really remembers being that terrific are now fantastic. And we've talked about bottle conditioning 
and I wonder how much of a role oxygen is playing in that bottle conditioning. Yeah. You know, again, a bit like uh, Ollie here, we're not biochemists. That was the point at which I gave up my studies. You're not. Uh, at Glasgow, <laughs> biochemistry did it, did it, did my head in. Um, and so I, I always wonder what's happening at the molecular level in those 70s and 80s blends. But here we are discussing oxygen, the possibility of oxygen playing a bigger role than that. Um, and we've certainly talked about oxygen being the enemy of open bottles. You know, when everybody's asking, oh, how long do I have to consume my bottle? Should I decant it into something? What happens once I get beyond the halfway marker? So we, we do know that oxygen's playing some role, but now we've got Ollie talking about maybe there's a positive aspect to oxygen. Well, you could, you know, if you look at old bottles, um, you know, that whole thing, how, how long can I keep a bottle? If you've got something at a very high strength, it actually can work really well. It can mellow out really well in, in bottle. Uh, if you leave it open and, or you, you pour it into a glass and just leave it for a couple of hours, yeah. it can open up and it can become a different whiskey and sometimes a better whiskey or a, be a better drink. So I don't think oxygen's always bad. I think the, the, the problem when you're going into low strengths, particularly those blends where it's 40%, bottle of 40, 43%, and you start losing a lot of ABV, then maybe it's not as interesting. You, you lose some of the texture and you lose some of the palate. Sure. But I think it's essentially quite a complex issue. In terms of cask and oxygen interaction, we've certainly found in a lot of older whiskies where the ABVs drop quite low and certainly the fill level's very low, you start getting some really lovely menthol notes. They create a lovely finish. You can, you can get some really interesting stone fruit notes. Um, we had quite a few casks that were under strength, kind of 38% that we've come across, or very low fill, maybe only 20 liters in a cask. And some of the flavors are really intense. They're really deeply fruity. Mm. Um, I remember we had a, a Bermore 96, and there was, I think, 25 liters in the cask. Wow. Um, and it was a hoggy, so you know, really very little. We didn't, in the end, what we did is we took that, that 25 liters and we added it to some 95 and 96 Bermore, which we bottled up as Elements of Isla. But the only way I can describe the liquid, that 25 liters, it was like drinking. Um, do you guys know Umbongo juice? Like fruit juice? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think it's a particularly British thing. You have to see <laughs> yeah. the advert for it to really yeah. make sense. <laughs> but it's um, it's like a, a really rich uh, tropical fruit juice, like concentrate thing. And, oh, okay. and, and that's what those 25 liters tasted like. In itself, wasn't massively drinkable. It was too intense. Hmm. But actually, when we put it into that batch of elements, that's one of the most talked about batches we've done because it's got this flavor right in the middle. It's really intense fruit surrounded by all of the kind of nice, more aromatic flavors we got from the other cars. Wow. When I think of an intensity of flavors, I don't usually equate that to low ABV spirit. No, that's probably fair, but I think these, like we've had a few where it's almost the concentration, which obviously you've got very little liquid in a cask, yeah. so you've probably got a lot of wind interaction there as well. Oh, okay. Um, but those flavors, those, those deep fruity flavors, and, the, and particularly I get, as I said, menthol earlier, I get a lot of that on low ABV or low fill. Oh, okay. Um, and I can't, I, I, I can't think that it's just wood. I, I think it probably has to come from oxygen interaction. The other thing is, you, you know, oxygen for wine, oxygen for other spirits categories is seen as really important. Um, it's just something in whiskey we don't talk about 
Uh, like many things in, in Scotch whiskey, yep. you know, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We don't have to go look into this. So, um, however, I've always believed that if you can understand, certainly in terms of flavor, if you can spend your time tasting things and then learn how that's made, eventually you can go back and, and recreate that. I and mean, that's my dream is you can then go on and go on to make that spirit again. Yeah. And if you made something that tastes really good, why wouldn't you want to make it again? I had a question that was separate from blending and whiskey making. Yeah, go for it. Did you have anything before we... No, go, 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 yeah. go. I'm happy to hear it. So I think it was back in April, maybe it was in May, uh, you know, one month runs into the next. Um, and one year into the next. And one car into the next. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a joke. Just, yeah. a joke. just a joke. Just yeah. a joke. Did I? That's why we all Yeah. <laughs> but it was announced that uh, Elixir Distillers is working on plans for a distillery on Isla. Uh, yep. Well, Jesus, Jesus Christ! What was Christ. that? What the hell was that? I think it was a bird. Yeah, it broke the windscreen. Did it? Yeah. So, dear listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Louise. So, how many windscreens do they say they yeah, go through? Seven, well, seven windscreens. Well, we picked up this car. <laughs> we had to wait because we were told that the windshield uh, had to be replaced. And so, here we are driving into New York. We're finally over the border. I think it was once we hit the New York border, a pigeon decided to fucking destroy our windshield. So, now we've got a, a good crack in our windshield. Is it a crack or is it just a burst of feathers? No, <laughs> it's it's that's a crack. Cheapers. That's a crack. Those look like talon marks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought a wheel blew. Oh, oh, oh Jesus Christ. So <laughs> In case we don't make it out of this, can I just say I love my family? <laughs> we have the red box recorder. They'll get your last moments. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> They'll know you were being a daft motherfucker in your final <laughs> moments. I wonder if that's just a thing with this kind of car. It's just prone to getting... I think it's probably to do with the size of it. I mean, we're yeah. a lot marginally bigger than that bus. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, distilling on Isla. Yeah. Can you just just briefly go into... Yeah, I'm curious. How long have you been thinking about this? And how long does that thought process go into uh, <laughs> planning? And, you know, it, it, take us through that, if you wouldn't mind. I think it takes uh, significantly longer, if you're us. <laughs> so, I mean, we first... I think Sikinda's wanted to distill whiskey for a very long time. He's He's a passionate whiskey drinker. And, you know, he runs on a belief that he, he can do things well. So if you can do things well and you love drinking whiskey, then you want to make it. In terms of the, the project that we're on now, we've been looking at it one way or another for, for about four years. Mm. Um, that includes lots of uh, searching for the right site and then planning, thinking about what kind of production we do. Lots of research. It's actually been really fun for me. Lots of traveling around the world and going to meet people and ask questions. We're still, after four years, at a very early stage. <laughs> um, and we're not at a point where we could say that we're going to be distilling on Isla. We, back in April, we had our public consultation on Isla, which is an event where you invite the people of Isla to ask questions over what you 
proposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, we then take that feedback and we put it into our planning proposal. So we'll be putting planning in sometime in the next few months. And then there's a three month to four month period where the planning is considered. And then if we're successful, we would move forward. But at the moment, because when we've not put the planning in, we're not really going into too much detail. It'd be a bit presumptuous for us to turn around and say, we are going to do this before uh, the planning officers have said that's okay. Yeah, because it could really all fall apart in the end, right? There's no yep. guarantees. There are no guarantees. It could. Um, it might be that they think it's uh, they don't like the plans, or it might be that they don't um, don't like the way in which. I mean, I, I think it's all very unlikely that they don't like the idea of us making whiskey. But you just don't know. So, it, I always think, with especially with an island like Isla, where you have a small population. You want to be very careful over what you promise to do if you can't then achieve it. So yeah. we've been very upfront from our with our public consultation. We said this is what we would like to do. And then we asked for feedback and we will we've changed our plans a little bit, not in terms of production particularly, but in, in some aspects, in line with the feedback that we got uh, from the people who live in Portellan. So the distillery would be in Portellan or So the site yeah. is just outside Portellan. Um on it's on the way to Lafroig. Um I think there are details about that, so I think I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know as I'm editing this <laughs> one. <laughs> I don't want my question to come across as a Debbie Downer question. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> phrase it accordingly in my own head. Obviously, we're now seeing great growth on Isla. Um, Isla had got down to what, six working distilleries, um, seven working distilleries, but say even as recently as 2000, it must have been down to six, and our beg was on, yeah, you know, was just yeah, coming back right. at that yeah. point as well. Yep. Now within a couple of decades, we're, we're in the vicinity of 10 working distilleries. Obviously it's a, an island that people want to be part of uh, within the whiskey scene. Campbellton. I started thinking about Campbellton. Obviously, Campbellton got up to 30 distilleries, 35 distilleries in a small geographical setting. Um, do you think people in the whiskey world are, are savvy now that mistakes that were made in Campbelltown can be avoided if Isla continues to grow? Do you think there's a do you think there's a, a finite number of distilleries? that could be squeezed onto Isla? Well, it's definitely a finite number of distilleries because it's only... Um, <laughs> maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand. <laughs> miles wide. It's not the biggest, <laughs> biggest island. Um, I think if you mean, is there a worry that there'll be too much whiskey produced on Isla? Um, what I'm seeing is probably no, there's still massive demand for more Isla whiskey. Uh, the price for Isla whiskey is still very high. It is, yep. um, yeah. And that's due to the fact that there's there's not enough supply. Now it's it's fair to say all of the distillers on Isla currently have plans to increase production. Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm not really concerned about whether the liquid will get drunk because I'm I'm a believer that anybody who encounters Scotch whiskey um, and falls in love with it, they they tend to become quite obsessive. Yes. Um, yeah. I think it captures people like no other spirit. I think Isla is, is probably the most extreme example of that. You know, it's Isla whiskey is not just because a lot of them are smoky, 
But because a lot of them are incredibly fruity and interesting, they, they're great makes, yeah, I can't really think of a bad make of Isla. People end up obsessing over that island, over the whiskey that's come out of that island. Yeah. So I don't think we're gonna have a problem where there's too much juice or too much liquid being produced. There is definitely a problem with infrastructure. Yes. That, I mean, that's not, and it's something that we're in our planning phase, so it's something we're looking very closely at. And again, I can't comment, I can't make comments on what should happen. It's not my island. I can't make comments on what we will do as a business because I don't know what we're going to be allowed to do. But it's certainly, uh, it's certainly worrying, regardless of whether we opened a distillery or not. Even if Ardenhoe didn't open this year, there is still an infrastructure problem yes. on Isla. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think opening new distilleries or increasing production, that doesn't change that. It just makes it more acute. The only thing that from my side I think needs to happen is that... Uh, local government and a national government need to pay more attention to that island to what it brings to Scotland what it actually brings to the wider UK you know it, it's, it's incredible to me that an island of just over 3,000 people produces that much liquid that's not just it's not it's not just they produce a lot of liquid they produce such good quality whiskey such good quality product that around the world everywhere you go People know Isla. They know what Isla is. Yeah. And that should really be recognized. I believe, on a, certainly on a national level, that should be recognized. But as I said, it's not not my island, so it's very difficult for me to, to sit there and, and pass comment on local government. And I don't I don't get a vote, so... Sure. I, it, it's certain, I think it's certainly good to have in the conversation, though. And, and I think it's good that somebody who's looking at a distillery on Isla can can still represent some of the voices we have heard on our trips to Isla about the quality of the roads, the frequency of the ferry service, the ability to bring whiskey off the island, the ability to take barley to the island. Uh, I still think it's very good that you're cognizant of those issues, even if you rightly say, I can't participate in this, but you can certainly add to the wider conversation. Yeah, I mean, from our side, we can, we can put in what we think is important and important in our in our planning proposal, we can. That's that's part of the process we go through. So we, the whole point of a public consultation is that you ask questions of the, the local populace and you say, okay, so this is what we would like to do. What is important? Um, you know, what do you think to this? And we didn't get any negative comments at all huh. um, about the idea of a new distillery on Isla. In fact. Overall, that was incredibly positive. We did get lots of questions about infrastructure, and, I, and those are the bits that we get to put in, and we can, yeah. we can use that and say, okay, so this is important, you need to listen. Yeah. Whether that's effective or not, I don't know. Um, planning process is, is quite complicated. Sure. Um, and until we've put in planning, or until we're, we're with that, that next step along, it'd be really, it would be wrong of me to say, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> there goes that fucking thing again. <laughs> Might actually be in a better place now. So, dear listener, that was our easy pass that just flew off our windshield. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, trust me, I am driving safely, dear listener. But now I've got to negotiate this uh, merge here. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, <laughs> All right. Carry on. <laughs> we'll just pick that right up. <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah, it, it's also interesting to me uh, in the wider 
whiskey conversation, spending time with people in Campbelltown. And the folk in Campbelltown are seeing distilleries being added on Isla and wondering when they get their turn. And it'll be interesting to see if, if that area of Argyle and Butte uh, takes on new distilleries as well. Uh, and we see if we can continue a boom uh, in the southwest uh, of Scotland. Uh, I think that would also be great to see and, and serve a community uh, the way the, the Illichs are being very well served right now. Yeah, I'm, I think that, that would be fantastic, especially for Campbelltown. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. The only, the only concern with new distilleries um, that I ever have is that the people building them <coughs> un- understand... Uh, the longevity of the project, the fact that it is that there's no fast money to be made. Yeah. Um, you know, we we have set about doing this not because we have a belief that it'll somehow make us a fortune, or it's done because it feels like the inevitable end of a journey. It feels like okay, we we as as a company and particularly my boss, he he spent his life firstly buying and collecting whiskey, drinking whiskey. It was all about finding interesting bottles of whiskey. Sure. That then got moved into, okay, buying and finding interesting casks of whiskey. That got into, okay, how can we manage casks of whiskey? How can we build a portfolio of casks that we can look after? How can we buy new spirit? What wood do we put that into and understanding that? And this is kind of that next stage for us. We want to now say, okay, how can we make great spirit and put that into a cask? And then 30 years from now, when I finally get to retire... Uh, put it into a bottle. That for us, that's the journey we're on. Um, so it's not been done in a. Oh, whiskey's booming. We, sure. we need to make money out of this. Sure. Um, you know, Stikind has been in whiskey literally his entire life, since since he was born. His parents owned um, an alcohol shop. That's all he's ever known. And similarly, for pretty much everyone he employs, he seeks out people who are passionate about whiskey. Uh, this is the only job I've ever had. I've only ever worked in whiskey. So. For us, this is this is the life we've chosen to live. Um, I do worry about the distilleries that are set up, where the investment's coming from outside, and it's you know uh, we're putting money into a, a boom industry. They don't seem to understand it's going to take three to five years before you get something you can put in a bottle. Yeah. And then if you're very very lucky, you'll pay off the distillery you built in ten or fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you might make some money. Uh, maybe. maybe. And that's all on the understanding that the spirit you make is actually good. You know, yes. You've always got that horrible thing. <laughs> spirit might not even be good, or it yeah. might need. You might make. You might end up making just because the way you you produce you might make a, a quite heavy sulfuric spirit that needs eighteen years before it's really drinkable. <laughs> yeah, like like Mortlock, right? That yeah. big, heavy, meaty sulfury spirit. Yeah. Well, maybe as as planning permission comes through, fingers crossed for you all. Uh, maybe we'll have a chance to get you back on the podcast and then discuss more about distillation processes and uh, how you see still shape working out and uh, and other aspects of the distillery we'd, we'd love to further that conversation with you yeah, yeah no well it's certainly that's for, for the last four years it's been one of the most enjoyable parts of my job has been doing that kind of research mainly because I relate it very much to bottles I relate it to what I drink as I said at the beginning I'm not a scientist so I often feel completely out of my depth, but mm-hmm. um, I do love when you find out little information about distilleries, about their production in a particular year, and then you can relate that back to the the casks you've tried or the single cast bottlings you've tried from that 
that distillery and it, it, it kind of wraps together and it makes sense. Well, it sounds like how a whiskey geek would make whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty much what we're doing, yeah. <laughs> Reverse engineering. What does that mean? What is that? How does it go? <laughs> That's tomorrow. And that is it for us today. Okay, I don't know. It, whatever it is, it's not right on a teleprompter. I don't know what that is. I've never seen that. No, there it is. We are going to do Sting, yeah. Okay, but okay. The, now, I can't read it. There's no, there's no words on it. There's yeah. no words there to play us out. What does that mean, to play us out? I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean? Yeah, so I, I really, well, I enjoyed my whole week uh, with Ollie and just all of our time together. But that conversation was exactly the conversation that I wanted to have. So I, yeah. con- I concur with you. Thank you very much, Ollie. It was, it was a great time the whole week, and, and the conversation was just good, good, good fun. Yeah, we'll swing back to Ollie towards the end of the episode and let him present his misconception. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we've got a little bit of news to get to, then a little email to get to, and then yep. we'll swing on back to Ollie. Yeah, cool. So the news that I would like to bring up is the fact that our Chicago Jubilee, which is on Thursday, November 8, tickets have officially gone on sale. And it is in the same place, Artifact Events on North Ravenswood, $95 a ticket, which gets you access to all the whiskeys, the, ooh, and by the way, I take this, um, phrase from Disney, so I I hope I don't get sued by them. People can have the all-you-care-to-enjoy buffet. I've seen that more and more, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And cigars. We'll have cigars out uh, out on the patio, which, yes, it's November. Yes, it's Chicago. Yes, it will be cold. However, we will, like last year, have some heaters out there for people. And, Jason... From now until August 3rd, if people go to whiskeyjubilee.com, and that is, of course, whiskey without an E and Jubilee with a Jew, and they go to purchase tickets and use promo code EBGTW218, that's early bird gets the worm 218, they will get 15% off their already low ticket price of only $95. Yeah, it's funny. The number one question we get, do I have to be Jewish to attend the Whiskey Jubilee? No, you do not. It is a very well done brown spirits festival with some really cracking food, some very enjoyable cigars and a real good atmosphere. So, nope. Just if you like whiskey, come on down. Yep. Whiskey first and foremost, but always a kosher buffet so everybody can enjoy. Everybody can have full tummies so no one gets sloppy. That's the last thing we want is sloppy attendees. Everybody can have full enjoyment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There we go. My my little bit of news. Ooh, you've got news. We are recording this portion of the podcast on July 2nd. Mere moments. Mere moments. For our Hello from the Magic Tavern collaboration Orkney single cast called Stones of Stenness. Mm-hmm. 
will be released. And I'm going to be honest, Joshua, I am shitting a brick because <laughs> this is going to disappear. And once again, thousands of people who are interested in a bottle will not get theirs. Yeah, no. Sh- I feel... Sh- yeah. I feel bad about that, and at the same time, we've been in the business of single casks since 2011, and we have not changed how we do business. Nope. We've simply changed how many people know about that business. (laughs) That's that's a good point. You know, there was a time, and, and this still happens, you know, if you look at our online shop, we have some bottlings that have been there for for a while, but there was a time when these bottlings would sit and sit mm-hmm. and sit. And sitting on money is not fun. Se- <laughs> <laughs> selling whiskey is. However, you know, and this is the difficulty with single casks is that they, uh, the number of bottles is finite. And when you've got a, an, an increasing membership, uh, that finite number seems even small. The good news is our third release of retail bottlings is on store shelves now. It's it's hitting all of our existing markets, and we are hoping to open up a few other markets as well, including um, Indiana and Minnesota and D.C. and Maryland. And where else, Jason? Uh, still got our eye on Texas. That's the one state we maybe get asked about the most. Mm-hmm. And we're keeping our eyes on Texas. So yeah. watch yep. this space is what we keep saying. Yep. Um, and cool. then I, yeah. I, I know you've got a, a third little bit of news, but we're going to tie it into the oh, email yeah. that yeah. we were going to yep, discuss. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So actually, let me open up that email. La, 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 la. Look at this level of preparedness. Preparedness, ba-ba, la-la-la-la-la. Scooby-doo, be-digga-dagga-doo. Blop, 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 bleep, blorp, blip. Um, This takes a long time to open up an email. Holy (laughs) macaroni. Well, it's, you know, we've got so many things going on here just to make this recording work. Um, so but make it work, we shall. So we got a message from Jose Milk, who is a newer yet very active member of Single Cast Nation. So thank you, uh, Jose. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for your membership. Thank you for for being so active. And one of the things that we found out is is he is starting to binge the podcast. Uh, he's not going in order. He's sort of bouncing around. And, and anyway, he, he sent this message. He says, um, in episode 12 last year, and then in parentheses, I've been bouncing around the episodes a bit, right before you guys left for the swim, uh, that's the great Isla swim, says, you mentioned that the whiskey was going to marry for about three months, and that's inside mm. the quarter cask. And it, just quickly here, for those that may not be familiar or may not have listened to episode 12, we took two swimmers to Isla along with a Whiskey Geek tour group. And actually, the two swimmers became three. And the three of them... <laughs> they did not have a baby once we got to Isla, just to be clear. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, there was not a water birth on Isla. <laughs> two became three. It's... <laughs> um, and, and these swimmers... Uh, had a quarter cask. That's a cask that is one quarter 
the size of a sherry butt. So sherry butt is 500 liters. So one quarter of that, basically 125 liters. And they went to the distilleries collecting whiskey from the distilleries, mostly from the distillery managers, and put that into the quarter cask. And we had said that we expect that whiskey to marry in the cask for about three months. And so he's calling us out on that. And then he goes on, he says, it seems like it went a lot longer. Can you speak to why? I'm happy for the extra time in cask. Just wondering from your perspective as people who pick casks. Yeah. Yeah. So we did taste a very this. simple answer. I'm, I'm, yeah. Oh, do you want to hear no. if you complicate it up a bit, but <laughs> <clears throat> Well, the simple answer, in my in my opinion, this is a simple answer. But let's let's see mm-hmm. if I did muck it up. Uh, we tasted it a couple times along the way, and it seemed as if the components from the various distilleries were still not properly married. Like you could yep. taste the Kilhoman in there, you could taste the Brooklady in there, you you know you could taste the Bowmore in there, and so on and so on. And what we really wanted is obviously we want those components to be noticeable, but we want them to be layers of flavor rather than very noticeable component parts. Yeah, three months in, it was still disjointed. Yeah. Shit, you did did say that much quicker than I did. And as we let it sit and as we tasted it along its brief journey, the flavors just started coming together a little bit more it's it's really as simple as that and so yeah and it's funny because i remember you and i even before we were independent bottlers mm-hmm. had with another group of people purchased an octave from glen glassa oh right yeah and when we purchased that ronnie and stewart at glen glassa had said oh this will be you know by five years this will be mature yeah and yeah. And tasting that, it was, you know, a year in, like, oh, this is this is still new make spirit. Two and three years in, okay, this is still spirity, but it's getting there. Five years in, this could use a little more time. And and we we filled one or we bottled one of those octaves mm-hmm. at six years old. And now we've got another one that we're looking at being six, six and a half. Um, yeah. yep. I was quite surprised with the octaves at Glenglassa that they matured slower than anybody anticipated. And now, if we're just talking the difference <laughs> between three months and nine months, we've now experienced the same thing with our quarter cask well, from the Great yeah. Isla Swim. Yeah, not only did they seem to mature quite slowly, one of the things that we noticed with our octave is how fast the juice evaporated. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So very quickly out there. And especially in the beginning, it evaporated quickly to begin with then slowed down a little bit. Yeah. Um, I was going to say to the, the good people listening at home and in their cars mm-hmm. that our next episode, and I think we all know that I never know the order of the episodes, but our <laughs> next episode uh-huh. will be the live podcast recorded at the Whiskey Jubilee Masterclass on That's, June yeah. 7. On June 7 and that was our that was our live discussion with two of the three swimmers from the Great Isla Swim as well as 
uh, Simon Brooking from Laphroaig, Beaumore, Glengarry, Akintoshan, etc., etc. And the number, the main focus there was the Great Isle of Suam, where everybody got to get a little taste of that bottle. They certainly did, and uh, what a good bottle it was to be tasting. So, so yeah, I just wanted to give listeners a head up, heads up that that will be the next episode. And you were going to conclude the news with a small URL. If any of our listeners, we have been getting emails. Is this bottle for sale? Can I get this bottle? I don't see this bottle on your website. Nope. It's a hidden URL. It is (laughs) one that we are, we have so few bottles, just like we mentioned earlier, with, you know, 294 bottles going live for the Hello from the Magic Tavern collaboration. It's not a lot of bottles. Here we're selling approximately 100 bottles of the Great Isla Swim. That's, and this one's going global. The and this, yeah, this one's going global because this is actually shipping out of the UK. So wherever the UK can ship, uh, this bottle can go. And, and that's right. We've got just about a hundred bottles that are going to be sold from this. And Jose had asked about the outturn because the bottle itself says 145. And the fact of the matter is some of these bottles are promised to the distilleries for their visitor centers yep. and people who are part yep. of the swim and so on and part of the yep. tour. You know, yes, we've got 145 bottles, but no, we cannot sell all of them because there are a lot of people no. that helped to make this possible. And part of our way of saying thank you is here is a bottle. Absolutely yep, correct. Yep. So the so great, approximately a yep. hundred, yep. and we've been taking, we've been curating those sales very carefully. We have been. So we put a few extra bottles into the online shop, and if you are interested in a bottle, these are five hundred dollars a piece. They will be shipping sometime around September. It could be a little later. We're still waiting on packaging and, 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 you know, just various other components to, to make this happen. Uh, and we'll be shipping from the UK. But the hidden URL, and, and we made a, um, like one of those Google links, is... That was smart of us, Joshua. Very smart. Now grab a pen and pencil. And if you're in a car, pull over. Don't listen to this later. I want you to pull over right now and grab a pen and a pencil and a piece of paper or your hand... Preferably the back of your hand, not the palm of your hand, because you're going to be sweating. Um, We don't want this to go away. Here is the link for you, dear listener. By the way, unless I say capital, it's a lowercase letter, okay? Only you could back up the delivery of a tiny URL. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't had a chance to back it up at all this whole episode. i got to back it up, back it in now. I think you'd be surprised if you listened back to it. I just haven't called you out on it before in this episode. <laughs> okay, what is our, yeah. our smaller Google URL for the purchase okay. of the GIS model? Let's see. The URL is the letter G-O-O dot G-L forward slash capital H, lowercase j, capital V as in Victor, capital D as in Domino, lowercase e, lowercase c and i'll repeat that no i'm not going to repeat that so there you go that's the <laughs> url <laughs> yeah i don't think there's any need to repeat that people can hit the backwards 15 seconds yeah, yeah, yeah exactly 
So there you go. We've got a few of those bottles in our online shop now. Uh, again, it's shipping from the UK. It'll be shipping sometime in September. It may be a little later than that. We just don't know. We're waiting on some people who are, you know, producing packaging and so on for us. So we've got to wait for all yeah, the people. I was just gonna, I was just gonna throw in a, a little addendum to that, mm-hmm. given that we are an industry podcast and we're mm-hmm. not afraid to take our listeners behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. One of the things for us with a 145 bottle outturn mm-hmm. that will be entirely unique. It will be a bottle we never use. It will be a cork that we never use. It will be labeling that we never use. Mm-hmm. It will be a box to put it in that we never use. The little mini. A, yeah. The little mini. That the little mini that it, has the, the core of wrecking wreck water in it. Yeah. Yeah. When we have to bring together 145 of those, you'll often hear larger industry leaders <laughs> talk about economies of scale. Ah, well, yes. we we have gone to the extreme opposite end. And so <laughs> 145 unique components is a nightmare. Absolute yeah. nightmare. And so that's why the process is as long as it is. That's why we're saying hopefully September, we're really crossing our fingers for September. But if somebody doesn't want to get us 145 corks in time, well, September's out the window. If we can't get the labeling correct on our unique bottle, that's going to delay us. So I'm not presenting any of these as excuses. I'm just presenting these as reasons for why this is difficult to pin down yeah and we want this to be the very best bottling it can be if you walk into a distillery store a distillery shop on isla and behind their glass case they have this bottle we need this we want this to look spectacular yeah yeah, we need it to be eye-catching we we need it to really represent the best of us, the best of the swimmers, the best of the crew. I think we said this in a previous episode. They all did bang up jobs. They all took care of the jobs that they were in charge of. Mm-hmm. This is also one of the jobs we're in charge of. We need to do a bang up job with it. So there you go. Yeah. Just a little yep. bit of the behind yeah, the scenes for the, for the listener. Yeah, but they'd appreciate it. Speaking of behind the scenes, and, and we do mention this in the live podcast, but I think that it, it bears mentioning here because people will hear a $500 price tag and say, oof, you're tearing the arse out of the price. So one of the things that I want to make very clear here is that we're not making any profit from this bottling. The $500 price tag any profit made from that is actually going to RNLI, which is Royal National Lifeboat Institute. These are the people that save folks stranded at sea in Scotland. And this is specifically for Isla. Uh, at least that's that's yeah. where we're having the money go to. And, yeah. and, yeah. and RNLI is, is across the United Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And yeah, so we're not looking to make any money on this. We this is this is charitable. The swimmers made this swim a charitable swim. They raised funds for RNLI and as the sponsors of that swim, we want to do just the same. So that's it for the news, Jason. Um we asked Ollie 
for a misconception. We did indeed. And he delivered one under fear of losing his life in that uh, death cab for Cutie. Who was Cutie, by the way, in that death cab? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I love Ben Gibbard, though. I think the guy's amazing. No, no. In, in our death cab for Cutie, which one of us? Oh, who was the Cutie us? in our cab? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say Ollie. It always has to be the guest. Death he cab was for the Ollie. Yeah. which we did not say at the start of the week (laughs) (laughs) we did that (laughs) as as we collect him for the first time welcome to death cab for ollie (laughs) i'm gonna be with you for a week climb on in (laughs) (laughs) so before we go over to uh, Ollie's misconception. I want to close out things here, and then and then we'll just we'll end it with Ollie's misconception. Uh, I quickly wanted to let people know how to get in touch with us, just like uh, Jose got in touch with us, and and a bunch of others. We've got a bunch of other emails that we need to get to. Uh, but you can email us questions at one nation under You could tweet at us at one nation whiskey. You can Instagram message us at One Nation Under Whiskey. And actually, we, we got a question just the other day, and we'll have to answer that at another time uh, from from Instagram. Uh, we'll have to answer that at another time. And, and then finally, if you go to Facebook.com and search out One Nation Under Whiskey, you'll find our Facebook group. There's nearing 600 people, I think, in the group. And while we have a lot of people... I'd say it's not very active. It's not the most active group in the world. So those of you that are listening, hmm. uh, maybe if you want to start moving your questions over there and get some conversation going, that would be great. Um, it'd be a nice place to hang out. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. I also got caught up with a couple of reviews that were left over at iTunes. Those were magnificent to read. Uh, so thank yes. you to the people who most recently left those. And if you... Would like to take a moment or two to throw your hat in the ring and say some pleasant things. That always helps us get recognized on iTunes. Yes. Uh, we did get an email last week while you were on vacation, Joshua. Mm. Our podcast is now on Spotify. Oh, yeah. So um, so if you prefer Spotify and you've been using another podcast app, well, I guess you can go back to the world of Spotify and and enjoy yeah, us that, there. That was a little request that we did see some from some people who mm-hmm. are not me. I've never used Spotify in my life. I am an old. But some people have reached out to say, yeah, you're going to come to Spotify? And I honestly did not know the answer. And now we're on Spotify. So maybe that'll make some people happy. You are officially an old. Your birthday was just a few days ago. I am. I'm officially an old because I'm now as old as you. <laughs> I think that you're very old now. <laughs> 44 that's halfway to 88 it is that's it holy moly what midlife crisis mm, indeed enjoy your bmw <laughs> um so, <laughs> so off to mr oliver chilton and thank you again ollie it was an absolute pleasure i should probably get back to to driving and and my battery is running low so i wanted to just ask a question 
to, to close things out, if that's okay, unless there was something you specifically wanted to add in. No, no, no more questions. No more no, questions. Again, yeah. again we're back no. to questions in an interview. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's happening? <laughs> so let me ask you this question. Jason and I are, are always curious to know when talking with the public, right? The, the people that you don't like dealing with? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> the people I hide from. <laughs> the people you hide from? You know, you've you've run your own whiskey show, right? You've uh, I, I organized whiskey show yeah for three years. For three years, you um, you've worked in retail. You've been on Isla to discuss with the public, uh, you know, what their concerns are when when you know building a distillery or the possibility of building a distillery, so on and so forth. And I'm just curious. You know what the things that we like to hear about are misconceptions, where where someone's have this what they think is the proper understanding of whether it's whiskey production, whether it's blending, whether it's you know what what have you. What are what's a crazy thing that you may have heard? You said, "Gosh, where where on God's green earth could you have come up with such a thought?" And then you had to either politely or not so politely, correct them and set them on the, the, the right path to, to correct thinking. I, well, I guess the classic one, and I'd, I imagine you would hear this from almost every independent bottler, is you get the person comes to you at the stand and says, oh, well, you know, the, the distiller will only sell you the bits they don't want. They yeah. keep the best mm. cast. Mm-hmm. Um, that is always pretty much my favorite. Um, it's, it's kind of nonsensical and it's a misunderstanding of the, the, the business because Scotch whiskey, single malt Scotch whiskey originated out of independent bottling. It, it originated out of retailers buying casks of whiskey and, and selling them to people as single malt. Um, there are bottlings of single malt whiskey from you know 1890s. You can find some Glenlivet, you can find the Freud tried an Ardbeg um, from, I think it was uh, 1918, recently. Braggart. Yeah. <laughs> Found that in there. Hashtag humble brag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> drank that for free. No. Oh, <laughs> nice. oh. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's examples of very old bottled single malt, but they it wasn't like a, a full-on kind of branded mission for single malt. That didn't really originate till the 1950s and kicked off really in the 1960s. And before that, we, everyone was buying from Barry Brothers and Rudd, Gordon McPhail, Cadenheads. These, these are names that all exist today. They're, they're independent sure, bottlers. Sure, sure. Um, and the way it works is nowadays is pretty simple. Distillers make a lot of liquid and they sell it. They sell some as, as new fill. That's, that's their ideal way to sell it because then they don't have to age it. <laughs> There's no cost involved. If they, if they can shift the cost of wood onto you, even better. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's easy to plan new fill. You can increase new fill overnight. Just make a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a lot more difficult to plan five-year-old, ten-year-old, fifteen-year-old whiskey. You don't know how much you're going to be selling in fifteen years. So that still exists today. They still sell a lot of new fill. They still sell it to blenders. They still sell it to independent bottlers. They still sell aged stock, and it still gets broken out. And most of those parcels of whiskey have never been tasted. They don't know. You know, it's not that they've tried this big parcel of whiskey or we didn't like it, so we're going to sell it on. It's it's a big 
parcel of whiskey that they don't need because their sales forecast says we don't we don't we're not going to sell this our job as independent bottlers is to buy that stock and then work really hard to either find the best out of it and bottle it or find ways of changing its maturation so that you can improve the liquid or figure out that you've just got to be really patient for another 10 years and worst case scenario if you can't rescue it you just find someone less discerning than you <laughs> not, not that I would ever say who that was uh, given that we're heading to New York City we're on our way to the Jubilee anything crazy somebody said to you at the whiskey show a whiskey show yeah as an event organizer the, the crazy thing I ever got asked was can you look after my dog in your crash um, we, we didn't have a crash um, we certainly weren't going to look after their dog um, was that a punter or that was an exhibitor uh, that that was a press person okay um, wow. so actually for a long time whiskey show actually had that on the ticket no dogs allowed which still makes made me laugh for quite a few years we felt we needed to tell people you cannot bring your dogs or babies to our show I've um, never thought about putting that on our tickets we've, yeah. we have had someone try to bring their baby to our show <laughs> <laughs> I remember turning that couple away. Like, <laughs> wow. No babies. Didn't say no. it on your ticket. Yeah, there's, no, there's no corner for a playpen to put your baby. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I quite enjoyed... Uh, I enjoyed running Whiskey Show when it was finished. I do not envy either of you today. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but tomorrow will be great. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, it's glorious. Um, Once the hangover dies down tomorrow, we'll be fantastic. I won't be hungover. That's all you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'll be a sleepy bear, though. <laughs> I will. Uh, okay. Cheers. Cool. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, cheers. cheers. Thank you so much. It. And we survived that portion of the drive. <laughs> Almost intact. Oh, okay, gosh. so. With that in the bag, thanks to Ollie. Love, love, love the misconception. Love spending time with them. Yeah. And Joshua, as always, I have loved spending time with you too. Always and forever, Jason. We must now go and take <laughs> care of, as one of our members called it, the Thunderdome. That is the launch of our Hello from the Magic Tavern collaboration. Oh, now I've got I've got a different Tina Turner song in my head. I get the acid queen in my head. I don't know why. But uh thank you for that. <laughs> so With all of this said, I will say cheers, and we will go and batten down the hatches, Hatton. Batten down the hatches. Cheers. Oh, wait. Should we hatten down the batches? Oh, no. Damn it. All right. Cool. Now we can stop. And stop. (laughs) Stop.